welcome to the show. And if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure to subscribe to my channel and hit the notification bell so that you get updates for future episodes. Uh, if you're a fan of the Sunset Strip music scene, you'll definitely want to stay tuned uh, for my next guest. Uh, but speaking of the Sunset Strip scene, my guest today, Howard Tiemann, was a part of that as well. Uh, he played music with many bands in that era, and he also de designed t-shirts for the bands. Um, he now has a tattoo shop in California where he's done tattoos for many big name celebrities. And I don't want to give anything away, but he's got some great stories. And if you're a fan of my show, I think you're going to enjoy this one. I definitely did. Check it out. Please welcome Howard T-Man to the Chuck Shoe Podcast. How are you doing, Howard? I'm groovy like the movie. Groovy like the movie. I've never heard that one. I like that. That's great. So art, you're, you're very interested in art stuff. Um, now when I, t I have a theme of this podcast, like success and people doing amazing things, I think you've done some amazing things. It seems like one theme is just people become obsessed. And I think I heard you talk about, even as a kid, you weren't interested in like watching TV and stuff. You would rather be doing art stuff. Is that correct? Well, yeah, well the family would sit around and watch TV and I thought it was a little, uh, just waste of time. But I, so I'd always have a drawing going while you know, I always have a project, like a theme or something like that, which ended up kind of like being my posters later on. But like, I wouldn't just draw like little doodles. I would draw like big scenes and stuff like that. I always have something going, like a project going while the family watched TV. That's really cool. Now, so does that get expensive as a kid using those like uh, different supplies and things? Did, did your parents, were they had enough money to, to pay for that? Because that's something that's always a concern for me with kids who are really artistic. What if they can't afford the supplies? Yeah, well, all you need is a pad of paper at that point and like colored pencils, you know, that's and nothing, nothing too elaborate back then. Nothing too elaborate. Yeah, because some of those stuff today, I mean, I look at what kids are buying. I bought my niece some art supplies. I was like, man, this stuff's expensive. Yeah, that's true. But if you go to like garage sales and stuff like I do now, you find all that stuff that they bought for their the expensive stuff they bought for their kids selling for like a dollar and stuff like that. If you need supplies. Yeah. OK, well, that's cool. So then. You grew up in San Francisco and you started doing the the band flyers. So I think people that listen to my audience probably know this concept of flyering and how big this thing was in the eighties, but just yeah. explain this and, and tell me about some of the flyers that you made. I think the, the coolest ones I've seen are the ones that Warrant did. Warrant had some really creative marketing uh, ideas with their flyers. All right. Well, back then, of course, there was no computers, so you had to do all cut and paste and uh, you know, you, it's kind of hard to even find a photocopier back then. So I don't know. You just, uh, I would draw them up and try to make just like my early sketches around the TV, you know, like theme things. Mm -hmm. And I was in a band called head on back then up in San Francisco and I would do all the flyer work until later on. We got a, a, a manager named Rob Schneider, not Rob Schneider, uh, John Schneider, who's Rob Schneider's brother. And, oh, seriously, uh, Rob Schneider, Deuce Bigelow. It's his brother, yeah, seriously? Yeah, yeah. His brother used to manage our band. And they had a third <laughs> brother, and he was a cartoonist. And so he would actually draw cartoons of our bands, like comic books. That was kind of cool. That's random. Wow, that's fun. Yeah. So then you start working for this company called uh, Great Southern Merchandising, and you design all these T-shirts. You're only 23 years old at this point, and you're designing shirts for Cher and Bon Jovi, Iron Maiden. I mean, that sounds like some of the the coolest uh, work that you could ever do at uh, 23, especially, I mean, I, I would have loved a job like that if I had any artistic talent, but what are some of your favorites that you did design for t-shirts? 
Well, that was really cool because there's like three big companies back then. That was before there was all those indie labels and stuff like that. There were three main companies doing all the merchandising for all the shirts, like all the tour shirts. There's uh, Great Southern, which I work for in, in Los Angeles. Uh, Bill Graham presents up in San Francisco and Brockham in New York. So uh, they just had a slew of work, and I, you know, this is back when rent was two hundred bucks a month. Yeah, and I, I would do like one or two a month, and um, and they pay like the biggest I ever got was like fifteen hundred dollars for one. But there was just the, the sketches, and then they would end up uh, sending it to the arts bar, and they would color them. But I did uh, my Scorpions one was the biggest seller for the company. It was just like a mechanical scorpion with a. a sexy girl riding it with a whip, you know, that kind of stuff. That was, that was one of my favorites. And I got to do uh, one more for the road for Leonard Skinner, which was oh. really cool. And I just made it space age, like the original album cover, but just made it really space age with, you know, uh, just weird dimensions and stuff like that. Have any of these sh- shirts, like, uh, like the Scorpions one, if that's like one of your, your biggest sellers, can people buy like a reprint of that or they, would they have to get the original one off eBay or something? That, that's a good question. I wouldn't know that. I, I used to, later on, uh, way after that gig ended, I would go to the sh- uh, the stores on Hollywood Boulevard because I lived right up above the Chinese theater there. And I would see some of my shirts every once in a while in their like big array of shirts. So I guess they were just maybe clearance stock that they were getting rid of and they just ended up there. I, I don't Otherwise, I, I wouldn't know where to find them. Because that's got to be a nostalgia thing for a lot of people that like owned that shirt or like, I'll never forget the kid that would wear like a warrant cherry pie t-shirt in eighth grade. Oh, I was yeah. like, oh, that's such a, that, that kid's so cool. You know, and like all those, like there's certain shirts. Like I remember this one kid, he had a Motley Crue Dr. Feelgood shirt and it, said, it had like a, it said fuck on the back or something. We thought it was the coolest thing. And he'd put yeah. a sweatshirt on. Then he, when the teachers weren't looking, he'd take the sweatshirt off. He's like, check out this shirt. It says fuck, you know? So yeah, I think that'd be cool if you could reissue some of these. Yeah, that would be true. I, I'm not in the t-shirt business, but yeah, that was great. <laughs> I have a lot of designs. Yeah. Well, so what about the, the, the posters? You're still selling the posters, right? Those are, those are still for sale. Yeah. Yeah. I have my own website, but I also have a distributor called uh, studio B and they're in Ohio and they sell lots and lots of posters of mine. Um, I've been working them probably over 25 to 30 years. <laughs> and uh, I get my quarterly check. They just print them up and sell them. And my, uh, I had a really good quarter. Last quarter was incredible. Hmm. They sold over just just for three months. They sold six thousand of my posters. So I, they still are selling big time, especially the Rock and Roll Theater. That's my biggest selling poster, and I drew that all the way back in nineteen ninety five, which um, was uh, I've drawn probably I probably have thirty five to forty posters now, and I still if you put all those poster sales together, it doesn't add up to the sales of just that one poster that I drew all the way back in 1995. Yeah. So explain, like, explain this poster. It's, a, it's basically a black and white drawing of like every rock star, like all the biggest rock stars all in one picture. It's really cool. Thank you. Yeah, I drew it. Uh, I tried to, I originally started drawing when I drew a poster called after hours in the after hour. And that was all the dead rock stars in heaven. That all came from me smoking a joint going, boy, it'd be great to have a, picture of all the rock stars yeah. overdoses up in heaven, still partying, still doing all the drugs. Like they never <laughs> learned their lesson or whatever. That was the whole theme of it. But then once I started drawing it, I couldn't like leave out John Lennon and stuff who didn't die of overdose. So it yeah. just ended up being like a heaven's bar and grill. Uh, but in that poster, I tried to like draw them as what they looked like when they died, 
you know, so they weren't in their prime. So the whole motivation of this one is just to draw everybody looking the best they ever did. The coolest, like the version of like Keith Richards, you know, with all the hair and dial on men's main street kind of stuff. And, uh, I just couldn't stop. So I just started with Mick Jagger in the middle and then I drew next to Mick. I drew, uh, Steve, um, Steve, (laughs) Aerosmith singer, Steve, Steven Tyler. Tyler, thank you. My brain was not working. He's like the American Mick Jagger, you know, the same look. Then I, then I said, who's new, who's the new Steven Tyler? It's Axel Rose. So I put him next to him, and I just kind of put people on who kind of related to other people, and it just grew into this huge thing. I drew it on a huge board. Oh, okay. Yeah, that one's really cool. And then you had one of the, like, you have ones of the Beatles and Jerry Garcia. Now, how does that work? Because, like, the Beatles one, it has the Beatles logo. Did you have to get permission or what? I don't, because our yeah, society's so lati- Oh, you do have to get permission. Okay. <laughs> Of course. No, I, I didn't. No, you I, don't. So because our society is so litigious, I'm surprised they don't try to yeah. sue you or something. Or, Well, they haven't yet. <laughs> okay. They haven't yet. But okay. <laughs> I, I, I talked to a few lawyers and it's especially like the rock and roll theater poster. It has over 165 people on it. Yeah. So if they sued me, they'd have to sue me uh, a cease and desist and further likeness, they would have to get um, 165% uh, a percentage of the poster sales. So it's really not worth it for them to sue me, oh. you know, and I, and those like Beatle posts. And also the lawyer said, um, if I do end up getting sued, it's probably the best thing for my career. Cause it was like <laughs> good publicity. You know, good publicity. I like that. Yeah. So, okay. So let's talk about your music career. Like you said, uh, you were in this band called head on. You started out as a drummer first. I think you were in a band called axis, but head on. I- how do you know? <laughs> I heard you talking about it, but uh, yeah, head on. This is cool because I listened to the song today. Uh, Nothing to say. That was like a really good song. So tell the story of this band. Cause you said it was just bad management or something. And it seems like a talented band. Yeah, it was a great band. We, uh, we had this, well, we start off um, playing like the old Waldorf and stuff like that. Little clubs. Uh, that's a big club in San Francisco, but little clubs like Boston Pizza, uh, all this weird shows. And we had we got attention from when we played the Waldorf, like a Metal Monday or something like that. And we got attention from one of the guys who worked at the old Waldorf, which is a Bill Graham concert thing. He decided to manage us. We Little did we know he's a complete alcoholic, crazy guy, but he got us in the door. And then he, he Bill Graham hired us to do a few shows. Like we opened up for Ted Nugent at this uh uh, Sacramento Civic Auditorium and we were 17 and stuff like that. We opened up for Cheap Trick up in Humboldt County at a huge like two or 3,000 people and that was also um, we were just kids and stuff like that. Wow. And this is when they were huge. Cheap Trick. Yeah. Was that was a big show. So and then we play the Old Waldorf and we also got attention from like the Stone you know the Keystone family. Uh, I don't know if you know there's, there's three venues up in San Francisco. There was the Keystone Berkeley. Okay. And that was the, those are like the only real big places to play. And we just got a following and we continue to work with this bad manager who just, he was horrible. Like he had to pay his rent. So he booked us at a show to pay his rent. We never got paid all that stuff. Oh shit. Then we finally got that John Schneider guy who kind of helped us a lot. And that, and then we got like full page ads in band magazines and stuff like that. And we were on a good trajectory and then just, I got thrown out of the band. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh no what happened um you know a guy named mike varney that sounds familiar what you know shrapnel records yes yes yeah. that's how i know that yeah 
Yeah, yeah. He 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 came in and he he did this not only to our band. He did this to a lot of bands up there. He would come in and try to dissect and say, "I could put in this drummer." And I'll sign you guys, and we'll do like a heavy metal album or something. They they listened to him for some reason, and uh, they ended up trying to find another drummer. They never, I don't think they ever played out live again. So huh. kind of destroyed the whole band. Wow, that's so, too bad. So, the, but anyway, so you're in LA and you're in a bunch of other bands. I saw this video of you backing up this band called uh, Lame Flames at the Cheetah oh, yeah. Club. Did you have you seen that video? No. Uh, oh, I've, I've seen some, yeah, some of the videos. Sure. Yeah. It was like this that, female band. It was really interesting. Those are my two brothers and I. Oh. And my little brother's playing bass and my older brother playing guitar. We were in a band called Sam Man and the Apes. And yeah, we yeah, the, yeah. 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 And those Sam was, you said he was kind of like a David Lee Roth. Like it was like two live crew type lyrics and stuff. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. You've done your homework. You know more about me than I do. <laughs> uh, yeah. The Lane Flames is funny because we just uh, went to this a picnic that they had uh, in Los Angeles called the, it was the barbecue of the loyal order of the water Buffalo. And that was like a big group of people in LA back in the eighties that like everybody was in it. There was like, I don't know how many members it, it seemed like there was a hundred members and they're all, all ma- males, just like the Flintstones, the loyal order of the water Buffalo. They had a poobah. Did they have the hats, the big horns? Yeah. <laughs> the poobah did. And like all the guy, like Charlie Sexton was one, and Fishbone, and all the big bands back then, Little Kings, uh, Little Caesar, all the members of those bands were in this Water Buffalo thing. Huh. And, and the the Lame Flames were some of the girls that hung out at the Water Buffalo functions. And that's how, we, back then, that's the two brothers and I, um, we, we were just like a great backup band. So the Lame Flames hired us to play in that band. But I just, we just had a reunion. They had a reunion, and I showed up and there was a lot of lame flames there. There was a, there weren't three of them. There was a, a bunch of them throughout the years. Okay. There was only three of them at a time, but there was a, uh, like a, you know, they had a group of lame flame alumni. <laughs> yeah. So explain this. you uh, you said you were living in the Houdini mansion. Like who's paying, is it a bunch of people living there? Who's paying the rent on this? It's actually across the street from the Houdini mansion. Oh, across the street. Sorry. Called Steinway mansion. And, Rumor has it that they originally built the place for the King of England when he succeeded for being king and he moved here with the Hollywood actress. They built this house for him, but he never moved in. So this house had a huge history. Actually, like uh, the Beatles supposedly had a party there. Uh, uh, Jimi Hendrix played there. And now it's owned by Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin ended up buying it. But when we lived there, it was owned by this really cool lady named Fanya. And she was uh, uh, one of the first black uh, lawyers in L.A. during the 50s and stuff like that. And she she was just the coolest lady. A few friends and, and myself were looking for a place to live. And we were driving in. Uh, we drove in. the Actually, it was my two friends drove in. I wasn't there. They asked, uh, yeah, are you guys renting rooms? And they said, are you answering the ad? <laughs> they said, yes. So we got the whole penthouse of the place. Uh, and I was paying like 200 a month there. That's right. 200 a month for years. I lived, then I moved my two brothers in and that's where ape headquarters was. That was, uh, and the greatest thing about that is right up in Laurel Canyon, right up where all those movies or documentaries are made about the rock scene in LA. Yeah. I mean, all the musicians were right around that same area, the same, like half a mile. That's radius. crazy to think 200 bucks in a penthouse Near yeah, this, yeah, yeah. like, I, I, I can't even imagine what that rent would go for now. Probably not oh, 200. Yeah, yeah. Nothing like it. So, yeah. Uh, so, 
so we'd have parties there. And the greatest thing is that it wasn't because it was in Laurel Canyon. It wasn't L.A. County. And it was it was or it wasn't L.A. City. It was L.A. County. So no cops could come up there, only sheriffs. Hmm. So we throw these parties where we set up huge like, you know, like a stage set up. And we you could hear us down like from Sunset Boulevard, all of that, because it would echo through the hills. And we'd have like huge Sunday parties where every band would play and, and everybody that, you know, cat house people, the band, the old club cat house. Yeah. They would all come to the, you know, it was during that time. So like Ricky so, Rockman and uh faster pussycat there. and all those guys, all those people were there. I got, I got videos of that. <laughs> oh, you have videos of that. Yeah. yeah. Have I you mean, posted everybody. any of those? What's that? Have you posted any of that stuff online on YouTube or anything? Um, Scotty slam on Facebook has posted a few of them. A few of them. Okay. If you want to look at them, there, okay. There's a few of that stuff. Yeah. So, Slam to be the Anchormines. You know that band. Which are you one? An LA guy or? No, no, no. I'm from? I'm from originally from Seattle, actually, and now I'm living in Phoenix. So. Oh, Phoenix. Gotcha. Yeah. Look up Scotty Slam. Okay. He's a great. He's playing for Circus of Power now. He's oh yeah, I know Circus of Power. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so you're, you're in some other bands, the Long Necks, Medicine Show, but then this is a cool story. So Steven Adler breaks his hand playing in Chicago. So you got to fill in with Guns N' Roses at the Whiskey. Yeah. Tell me about yeah. that show. That must have been amazing. Was this before they had like even put out Appetite for Destruction? Or No, Appetite was definitely out. And they just got back from touring with Aerosmith. As a matter of fact, that oh. show I played, Slash was wearing an Aerosmith jacket that uh, Joe Perry gave him. You know, like the the cool jacket. Yeah. They were at top of their fame and they just did it. It was a, a, a like a, a, they were a fundraiser for something. Uh, Desi Benjamin put it on a, a LA guy. And it was uh, a lot of people played. I think uh, faster pussycat might've played that show too. And Guns N' Roses was supposed to play, you know, it was like the big rumor and the place was just jam packed to the gills. Well, we were all up at the mansion kind of like learning the songs. He, Duff was over there teaching me and we had a big party over there and they give Duff the call, come on down. So we go down there. There's probably about 20 of us all coming from LA, from up in Laurel Canyon down to the uh, whiskey and you couldn't even get near the place. So when we got there, Duff was like, okay, we're ready. This is Howard. He's playing drums and the guy at the door and he said, we can't, we can only let you two in. And Duff said, fuck it. If they can't all get in, we're not playing. <laughs> And so they said, well, we can't let him in. So we went back to the park, back to the mansion. We said, Guns N' Roses is not playing. And we started drinking more and drinking more. And then we get the call. They can come in. Get back. Yeah. By this time, I'm drunk as shit. Oh, shit. Pleasantly fun. And we got in. They rushed me back. And in in the dressing room, Izzy is trying to teach me. So we're opening with a song called uh, I Used to Love Her, But I Had to Kill Her. Right. And and that song, that album had not come out yet. And I never even heard the song. Did you do the acoustic version or are you doing like an electric version? No, no, full full blown. I used to love her real fast. Oh. Out drumming. And so they're teaching, I've got video of that, them like teaching me all this stuff backstage. It's just crazy. All of them actually standing around me singing, you know, (laughs) they're teaching me. And they even had, you know, Dell James's. Yeah. 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 Dell was end up sitting behind the amps, sitting next to me. And then the roadie from hell was on the other side and they were cueing me because they knew the song. So, because 
and I had to start one, two, three. You know. So you're trying to learn these songs and you're drunk and it's <laughs> <laughs> just pleasantly drunk. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not, not too so, bad. You, know, you can watch videos of that. If you go on YouTube, you can just um, look up guns and roses, whiskey, 1987, I think. And it just type in and it has like a few songs up there. And if you look closely, you can see Dell behind the amps and the roadie from hell over there going, stop, stop. go, go. <laughs> it's really funny. Oh, that's great. So then they invite you to play on that album. Um, you do the, you do the laugh on, uh, used to love her, right? The, ah, ha, 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 like, right. Yeah, that, yeah. And then do you do percussion as well on the song? Well, that was kind of like a drunken party at the studio. And I just set up to Bali's and they had a whole bunch of shakers and a lot of, it was just like a lot of people playing the percussion on that. And um, that's where I, that's where I went in the mic right there. That's so just, cool. Just, just, sorry. Yeah. It was, that was another drunken party. That's really good. neat. So, and then Duff asked you to help out with the song. So fine on use your illusion too. You, you played, you play piano and drums on that one, right? Well, I did originally when he asked me to do pre-production on it mm-hmm. um, and that's Rumbau studio, which was uh, captain and Tennille's, I think studio that they recorded all their albums at and Mike Klink was producing as normal. So this is when Guns N' Roses were all on hiatus. They took like a, a summer off and that's when Axel went to Paris and all that got that big fight and all that. So nobody was in town. So uh, Duff asked me to come down and help him with the song so fine. And so we laid down the bass tracks where, where I did play drums and then uh, he did a guitar and bass and sang on it. And I played piano. And um, and when I was recording that, or like the last day, everybody from the band came into the studio because they all that was the first day they were back together after this long break. And everybody was talking about all the shit they did. And like I said, Axel got in that big fight in Paris that was newsworthy. And everybody was asking. It was really cool because I got to be a fly on the wall and hear all their stories and what they what they did during the like the first big break after the band. You know, because the band was uh, such a fast momentum you know what did they do what were the stories oh i can't remember i really don't remember <laughs> all of them except for i remember the axel story so axel is the one who actually um heard the tracks that we did he says that's really great will you do that on the album when we record it i'm like fuck yeah <laughs> of course so ends up steve adler drives me home that night and he's talking about how excited he is because they're uh, going to be working on the new song and then all this stuff and then like a month later, Steve gets kicked out of the band. <laughs> and so they have to go through like a whole year of getting Matt Sorum. And, and so the album was put on way hold. So I'm like, oh, I'll probably never hear about that anymore. Sure enough, a year later, I get a call. Axel on the phone. Hey, Howard, you ready to do your tracks? <laughs> I'm like, wow. Yeah, I heard that. So do you think he just remembered that or did he keep some sort of journal or something? Like, uh, like- uh, I don't know, but you know, Cause this is not when the band was sober, right? I mean, this is when they're all kind of fucked up. So like, how did he remember a year later? That's pretty impressive. Yeah. I was very impressed with that. And it's, that's the kind of guy, a lot of people give uh, Axel a lot of shit for his crazy character and all that, but he is a really stand up guy. And he, he says what he, he does what he says and he says what he does, you know, he, he's, uh, he, that was really impressive. Yeah. Didn't you tell the story? This is interesting to you. Didn't you see him one time and you were talking to him like years later and you didn't recognize him because he had the, uh, the braids or whatever. Wow. You know, I can't believe you know these stories. I must've told him about it. Yeah. 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 I was just in front of the cat club uh, next to the whiskey. And I was, I was sitting there talking to him for a while or just talking to the group of people. Um, I couldn't even recognize him. And then I said, 
hey, you act so because <laughs> he just looks so different and crazy. You know, it was a couple of years later. Yeah. Yeah. All, I mean, that was way later than all the times, you know, recording and all that stuff. That was many years later, maybe 10 years later. After. Yeah. And you've played on some, you've done some other session work. You, you played on this, uh, one of my, uh, I think it was kind of a cool album. The, the, the Rod Stewart tribute album. You played on that one with like John Karabi's on it. Stephen Piercy, Eddie money. Like what was your role on that album? I think I played with Spike from the choir boys who was, uh, I, Great when the choir boys would come in town, uh, we had a, I was in that band medicine show. They were all English blokes and um, I was the only American and we were on Chrysalis publishing. Uh, we had a publishing deal through Chrysalis. And so when we went over to England, we were good friends with uh, the choir boys, the London choir boys. Mm-hmm. Did you know what they are? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. They were managed by uh, Sharon Osbourne and all that stuff. They, oh, they, I didn't know that. Yeah. They were huge in, in England. They were huge. Okay. And not so big. But Spike has that real Rod Stewart voice, you know. He's totally. A lot like him. They were, they were good like rock and roll band, you know, like an old time Rolling Stones, Rod Stewart rock and roll band. And um, so we got to when we went to England, they were they, <laughs> the, the EMI was uh, was not very good with their their money. Chrysalis wasn't very good with their money, so they Spike put us up in his council flat, which is like a subsidizing housing in Brixton. So that's where we stayed. So okay. we became really good. He was just a nice guy like that. So that's where I got to know him. And uh, I was playing drums in medicine show, but somehow we found out I played piano. So uh, when they came over to Los Angeles, they needed a keyboardist. Hmm. So I sat in with that band. And that's how I got to be with uh, Spike when he needed a, like a, a McLaughlin kind of piano player. Then I would, I would sit in for them. That's, that's, how I got it. that's really cool. And what else is there other session music work that you've done? McLaughlin. I think I said McLaughlin, Ian McLaggen, or McLaggen, whatever his name is, Ian from who played with Rod Stewart, the, that piano playing. Yeah. What do you need that style? That's the style of piano playing I play. Okay. So you played with him? No, no, just with Spike. that style. But I, I just misquoted what I said when you need, I said a McLaughlin style piano player. Okay. It's, Blogging or whatever. <laughs> so, but is there other musicians that you've played with? Because I think it said on your bio that you've you've played with some A-list musicians. Was that it, or was there is there more than that? Oh no! Um, when I switched over to piano from drums, being that kind of a piano player, uh, this is great. This is segueing really nice. <laughs> um, playing that kind of style of music, a lot of bands that was the style of music that was getting signed then, like the Rock City Angels, and you know, like more like the Rolling Stone type bands in LA, mm-hmm. like a gypsy looking. And since I played that kind of piano, a lot of bands would put me in just to play that, like for a song in a recording session or something like that. I also got uh, hooked up to, you know, um, the New York Dolls. Uh, <laughs> yeah. My brain is going a little crazy. I can't remember the name. Uh, the guitar player just passed away. Uh, Sylvain Sylvain. Oh. I played in his band for a couple of shows. Okay. That was a good gig. And just I would I would sit in like Bang Tango, you know. They oh yeah, we had a little band, uh, uh, what were we called the Vagabonds. Uh, just a lot of bands that I played with playing piano, like that honky tonk, the Hippie Shakes, just a million million little like uh, Rolling Stones style bands. Are you still doing that just for fun every now and then, or I haven't for a while. Maybe the last five years I've slowed way down, but yeah, I mean I still. We just had a big twelve year anniversary of the tattoo shop. And I always set up a piano outside. We set up the whole band set, and 
you know, you sit with all the all the old folks that are still alive. We we get we do a lot of jamming. That's yeah. cool. So yeah, so let's talk about the uh, the the tattoo shop. It's called T Man Tattoo. It's in it's in L.A. And you've uh, it says on your website you've done uh, work for Pete Rose, Terry Hatcher, Rob Schneider, because obviously is you know the brother, yeah. and then and James Gandolfini. I mean, geez, those are some A list celebrities. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is it's a neighborhood. I'm right in downtown Studio City. Like I'm a block away from uh, Radford Studios, which is CBS. Okay. Um, where you know Seinfeld, all those things. Actually, Seinfeld came in here. Uh, Did Seinfeld get a tattoo? He didn't get a tattoo. He just came in. The good story about Gandolfini was he came in. Um, I didn't know he had a tattoo. Yeah. Well, that's the, the that's it's a funny story, but a sad story. Oh. It was a Saturday. The whole the place was packed, and I'm tattooing somebody with my back to the door, and somebody said, "Hey, James Gandolfini just walked in," and I turned around. There he was standing right there. You know, and this is a very small shop, so it was like, "Wow!" And it's I fucking it was, Tony Soprano right in your yeah. shop. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. And, uh, I am so happy I found you because I need a tattoo. And I just moved into the neighborhood because I'm recording at the studios and he goes uh, filming in the studios. And he said, I have to go somewhere, but I will be back in like three weeks. And I, and I want to set up a, a tattoo appointment with you. And I said, wow, that's great. I'd love to do that. He goes, I said, you're in my store right now. Can I take a picture with you? And he said, look, I probably will take it when I'm, when I come back. And I don't know what got into me. I was just, um, just pushing that day or something. I said, look, you're here right now. Make my day. Can I get a picture with you in my shop? And he said, sure. So I took the picture and he went to Italy and died <sighs> that, that week. It was like, wow, <laughs> that was crazy. So that's I never, so sad, but yeah. wow. Good of you to push for that. See, that's one of those things yeah. where it's like, Oh, you, you never know when something, you know, it's like if you, if there's something you really want or uh, to do in this world, uh, not just get a picture with a celebrity, but anything like that, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, that's you know, true. this can wait. Sometimes things can't wait. That's really, that's a sad story, but cool that you got the picture. Wow. Right, right. I was just talk, uh, listening to Dave Grohl on Howard Stern and he said the same thing happened that uh, Leslie West from mountain, the, the amazing yeah. called him or they got a hold of him somehow that he wanted to talk to Dave Grohl because he wants to do a project. And Dave Grohl was so excited about it, he, but he put it off a week to call him. Oh. And by the time he called him, he, he passed away. It's another same story, kind of like what you just said. If you think about doing something, jump on it. Yeah. So what was Gandolfini, what was he going to get? Because like I said, I don't think I knew that he had, if he had any tattoo. Was this going to be his first tattoo? I don't know about that, but I we, we speculated on that. We think it might have been he just had a kid with a new oh. wife. So I, we're thinking that he wanted to get the new kid's name on him or something like that. Okay. So I don't have any tattoos. So what would you be your advice? If I was going to get a tattoo, what's a good first tattoo, like a good place, a good size, a good like image. If you get a big battleship on your chest, <laughs> to start off with, what do you think? You know, full size. And then wings on your back. No, oh. uh, anything you want. Don't, People ask me, what should I get? And I, like that. And I always tell them all tattoos are a little time capsule in your life. So don't try to put everything in one tattoo, which I did. Like I have a stupid tattoo of everything, like a piano. I've got a lion on top of it. I got a snare drum with a uh, Mickey's 40 ouncer on top of it. It's, just, it's, a, it's a mess. So you want to just get something that is, that's not that, you don't have to put all this thought in it. Just get something that's very attractive to your eye. Mm -hmm. Okay. Don't worry about it. And don't worry about it if you're going to like it later. You know, it's, it's something that you like right now. 
like we were talking about, just jump on the moment. Yeah. And, uh, is there, have you ever, I, I, got this for, I did this one on myself and I was, it's, it's a tiger on top of a ball. I just, I just started tattooing. I don't know if you can see Oh yeah. This. Yeah. That's it's cool. old. Yeah. 17 years old, oh. but I just, it was my first tattoo. I tattooed on myself. I just started tattooing. And I, I just said, that's a cool, I was just looking through a book of, I, I knew I wanted an animal and I had this real cool book of animals and I just saw it. I, I don't, I don't necessarily even the day before I would never even think of getting a tiger, but I just saw that image. Huh. I said, that's cool as shit. So I put it on me It's my first tattooing and I was so nervous. I sweated and the whole pattern was, <laughs> I'm in the middle of it. I'm oh, like, oh shit. Yeah. So yeah, that was a very harrowing experience, but I just calmed myself down and finished it. So have you, What's the weirdest tattoo that you've ever request you've ever gotten? Uh, boy, if you want, you got to go on the website to see some of them. They're, they're blacked out for a little while. I worked for this company called my And they were kind of like a, you know what suicide girls is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, like emo like, girls. Yeah. The emo girls, like uh, model girls and kind of on the risque side. Well, this was very risque on the, on the level of almost uh, porno, you know, but it's tattoo. We tattoo girls. And so I would, I didn't do it in the studio. I was working at that time. I would go to their studios, which were porn sets. And I would do all kinds of tattoos and every part of the body <laughs> imaginable. And there's one, I think is my classic one where I turned a girl's private areas into a Cheshire cat with the mouth open and the tongue. <laughs> <laughs> And I think there's, it might be on my website. I'm pretty oh my sure it's censored, you know, but so if they're, I did a whole bunch of crazy ones for them. I yeah. Mean, so uh, if they're getting that tattoo, they just, I mean, you're like a doctor, right? It's like, you have to yeah, be yeah, professional yeah. and. <laughs> yeah. After a while, let's just say I was hard at work every day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, no, good. At one point, you know, sometimes they'd have spreaders. Girl, naked girls on each side spreading parts of the body to get into the areas. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sure that's... Do you ever, like, fuck with people, though? Like, if they want, like, okay, give me the Buddhist symbol for, for peace and you give them... It says something different or... Because that's always, like, my fear if I was going to get some sort of symbol like that. Like, oh, this means this. But it's, like, a lot of people will say, like, actually, that you know, that's, like, a... That's a yeah. Kung Pao chicken or whatever. Right, 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 right. Beef and broccoli. Um, no, that's a funny story about that is that we used to have a Chinese restaurant across from the first shop I worked at and we always sent people over there to have them write it out in kanji. And, uh, we found out later that it all said eat at MJ's Chinese shop. <laughs> it didn't really, really was a joke. Yeah, no, I, um, you know, with the internet now you can just type things in. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Type, type and you'll get a million different kanji. Sometimes they're different, but you kind of can average them out and figure out this one must really mean it because there's eight ninety percent of them is this symbol where, you know, so you could, and also you could just type in, if you want to do Roman numerals, you just type in 1958 in Roman numerals and it pops right up. So everything's checkable now. Yeah. Do people ever come now? If people come in totally hammered, do you, do you have to turn them away or do you say, eh, it's business. Now that I'm an older guy, I don't really work those hours. Anymore. Okay. I, I work from like 11 to five. <laughs> that's, that's so that's someone shape. else's problem. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, by the guy who taught me Lou bone from art to the bone, he was my mentor. He said that he would hate tattooing real drunk people because they always tell you, they tell you they love you the whole time and they <laughs> hit you really big. And then the next day he actually 
had one guy he gave, he gave him like a two hundred dollar tip, and he came back and was, I I want my tip back. I was drunk, and he said, "Fuck, get the fuck out of my shop." <laughs> that, was, that was the greatest thing too. He told me about times of tattoo shops before Yelp and stuff, where you could just say. I would love it when I was he was teaching me how to tattoo. He was, somebody would irritate him and go, "Get the fuck out of my shop!" <laughs> and you can't do that. Anymore. Yeah, that's. I like that. The days before Yelp. Yeah, those were good yeah. old days. Interesting, yeah, yeah. fun yeah. times. Well, um, yeah, I like to wrap each uh, wrap up each episode with a charity. Is there is there a charity or nonprofit or something a cause that you like to get behind? Well, I'd probably say Planned Parenthood or something like that. Keep that up. Okay. Really, you know. All right. I'll put that in the notes along with your website and uh, people should, if I'm in that area, maybe I'll stop by and get my first tattoo. I don't It'd be kind of uh, scary, but where, where is your shop exactly? Is it on Sunset Boulevard or where is it? We're the Sunset Boulevard of the Valley, Ventura Boulevard. Ventura Boulevard. Okay. The one in Tom Petty song. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Ventura Boulevard. Um, it's runs parallel to sunset, but just over the hill and it goes all the way from, uh, you know, all the way deep, to the east of the LA, all the way down to way past uh, Cal- uh, Calabasas. If anybody knows what that is, it's it's a long stretch, and it's pretty much the main stretch of the valley. And I'm right Laurel Canyon again. I'm one and a half blocks west of Laurel Canyon on Ventura Boulevard. Okay. Studio City. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks. I'll put that all in the notes. Thanks for doing this, Howard. Thank that was you. a lot of fun. Oh, very nice meeting you. All right. You too. Bye bye. Phoenix ain't that far. Come out and get a tattoo. Okay, I will. <laughs> I'll see you later. Oh. Pussy, get a tattoo. All right. <laughs> Bye-bye. Okay, well, that was a lot of fun. Howard is such a fun guy to chat with. And some of you other podcasters who listen to the show may want to reach out and have him on your show. Uh, make sure to check out his website for more information or uh, go get a tattoo at his tattoo shop and tell him I sent you. Howard T-Man, T-Man Tattoo. And, uh, you know, maybe I'll even get a tattoo the next time I'm in L.A. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he sounds like he's willing to do one for me, so... If you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend and make sure to subscribe or follow the show wherever you watch or listen or follow me on social media or however you want to keep track. Uh, But I got some great episodes lined up. So have a great rest of your day and remember to shoot for the moon.